Hey, everyone. You're listening to episode 80 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today, we're talking to Bobby and Nan Bullard, directors of Partners in Ministry. Welcome to the show. My name is Cody, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. Today, we're talking to Bobby and Nan Bullard, directors of Partners in Ministry. God got a hold of Bobby and Nan's hearts early on and began to lead them into a passion for reaching the unreached and empowering indigenous missionaries to reach their own nations. Partners in Ministry channels 100% of its donations directly to missions hubs in some of the most unreached regions of the world. Each hub serves as a missionary training ground to equip people to bring the gospel where it has never gone before. At the same time, Bobby continues to manage his successful engineering firm, which has served as fuel for partners of ministry, in addition to other generous supporters. Before we get started, I just wanted to ask one big favor of you guys. If you've been listening to the show for some time and want to support what we're doing, one easy and free way to do that is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Just write whatever you like about the show, and you'll help others find us. Of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. With that, let's get started. All right, we have Bobby and Nan Bullard joining us, and we're really excited that you guys are here. Thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to chat with us. Glad to be here. We are honored. Thank you. Can you each just take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about yourselves, your upbringing, and your faith background? Sure. I guess I'll start. I grew up in a Christian home, and it was really about in 1972 where it was not a Christian home yet, and the Lord touched my mom, and she was at a meeting. My parents had just were in their early 30s, and I was the youngest, and so she went to a meeting, and it had been a basically a life of just going to church, but not really experiencing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the Lord captured her heart. And from there, my dad, he also saw a big change in her. And then from there, my three other siblings, we also became followers of Jesus. And from then on, which was 1972, I've never looked back. It's just been an amazing relationship, and I'm just so thankful for him. So that's really when I first met Jesus. Yeah. And for me, I just remember from a young age just realizing that Jesus loved me. I was in church, a little Methodist church in Columbus, Georgia, and my mom was came to know the Lord and began praying. I remember her getting up at 4.30 before work and having our quiet time and praying. And so that was modeled to me from a young age. And I guess I was about 13 and went on a spiritual life retreat with a new youth pastor and really encountered Jesus personally for the first time and made him Lord of my life. And I remember thinking, 
wow, I've got to do something. I can't just sit here and be normal, a normal teenager. The Lord's called me to do something. So back then in the Methodist church, I thought I was supposed to go into the ministry and be a director of Christian education or something. But I soon realized that the Lord wanted me to do much more than that, that it was a daily giving you know, my life to Him, and that meant wherever I was, not necessarily that the mission field was right in front of me. I didn't have to go anywhere or do anything specific. Fast forward, I just remember being in college and being challenged by some other believers to just really make Him Lord of everything, whether it was finances or decisions or whatever. And that was where I'd say I just really started an intimate, really, really intimate walk with the Lord and just really living and moving with Him and trying to listen and obey and everything. And I guess it was a few years later, I heard about this partners in ministry thing that had been going on for a while. And it kind of expanded my view of the local church. I'd always thought of church family being a local church. And suddenly I realized the body of Christ was so much bigger. And so that kind of opened up my eyes to missions. And I wasn't really sure at that point what that was going to look like, you know, short-term missions or, you know, a lifetime on the mission field. But then the Lord called me to be a public school teacher <laughs> and uh, with special needs kids. And so I found ways to really minister and love those people around me that way until he provided a family, brought Bobby Bullard into my life, very much was on the same page as far as Jesus. And I'll stop there. I'll let Bobby finish that, maybe. Yeah. Well, similarly, <laughs> we were, I was in college and it was right at the end of my college years, and a traumatic event happened in my life. And all I knew to say was, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I felt a lot of accusations, and I had made mistakes, and I knew, but I could feel the Lord with me the whole time. And I can remember just coming out, actually went to Stone Mountain, which is a place near here. And I had a little rock in my hand, and I took the rock, and I threw it, and it went to the bottom of the lake, and I said, Lord, I'm going to make a promise to you now that that little rock on the bottom of the lake is going to be there forever. And I want to know that when I see you face to face, that I went the way that you wanted me to go and not the way that I wanted to go. And from that moment, the Lord really changed my life. The first thing I had a job at Harris Engineering, but I felt like God had called me to move to Vine City, an area in the city of Atlanta, which is probably one of the roughest areas. And so I moved down there and my parents were like, okay, we want you to follow Jesus. We love that you love the Lord, but do you have to move to Vine City? It was wild. I'm telling you, there was stuff going on every night, but it was like I was driven. And I remember coming in on my car at night and the kids would all come. I'd probably have 40 kids around my car. And it was the love of Jesus. And so shortly after that, Nan started coming down. We had a weekly thing <laughs> down there. And I said, wow, I really like that girl. That Because <laughs> you learn a lot about somebody mm -hmm. when they're ministering to a bunch of kids. 
So that's how the Lord put us together. And it's been just an amazing journey since then. I got to watch Bobby love on little kids ways that were very challenging and he just loved so well. And I thought if he can love these kids like this, he's going to make a great dad one day. And of course, the discipling never stopped. We just went from discipling inner city kids to discipling our own kids because that's what the Lord called us to do. Now, I know that you guys did not start out heavily involved in partners in ministry. So tell us a little bit about some of your early career and how God was kind of planting the seeds at that time, leading the way to what you're doing now. Well, partners in ministry started in 1982, and it was a ministry that connected funding sources with missionaries. But it was much more than that. It was a relational thing. And the two groups got to really connect in ways that I had never seen before. And one of the unique things about it was 100% of the money that came in to the ministry went to the missionaries. And to me, as a young kid who just started in the business world, I thought, that is so cool. Talk about return on investment. This is good. We were always, you know, the people that came and we were interested. And our focus, though, was our five children. And we felt like God had called us to be a part of that. They're all worship leaders and they're all following the Lord. But we felt at Partners, something that we were involved in, but we were not in charge or in directors. And about, I guess it was about 10 years ago. 10 years ago, somewhere. The leaders who started it in 1982 were getting older. And they were, the amount of and the funding was beginning to be a struggle for them to keep it up. And they asked Nan and I to take over the directorship. And at that time, we were very focused on our ministry to our children. Like Nan said, we felt like it was discipleship of them at that time was what we were called to. So at that time, we told them we couldn't do it. So that's where we were then. I'd love to dive in a little bit. Nan, you talked about how you were learning how to surrender more to God and learn what it means to just put everything at his feet, especially around finances. How did generosity start to become something that the two of you together lived out. I could go back. It was modeled to me by my family, my parents, and just the people that were discipling me as a young Christian to just the everything we have belongs to the Lord. And so what a joy it is to share that with whoever needs it at whatever time. And when I heard about this ministry down in the inner city, this was right as I was meeting Bobby for the first time, but I felt Again, called to kids because that's who I worked with. And, you know, being a teacher, I was very interested in that. And my roommate at the time, who's now my sister-in-law, she married Bobby's brother. (laughs) We ended up down there in the inner city and really realized there was just so much need all the time. You know, just these kids were living in such poverty and need all the time. And I would say that just my heart would just go out. For them, and then just any time that I felt the Lord move, you know, He would show me something, and I'd say, okay, Lord, this is going to hurt a little bit, but Your promise is that if we give generously, that, you know, You're going to take care of my needs. And so that was just kind of 
implanted in me, I guess, around that time. And then, of course, Bobby and I ended up getting married and working down there as a married couple for several years. I guess fast forward, you know, anytime that you see someone in need, there's always this question that you say, okay, Lord, I've surrendered everything to you. What is it that I need to give? Is it my time? Is it my finances? What is it that the need is that's here? And a lot of that was always <laughs> through relationship that it wasn't just we're going to give and then just move on. It was always, hey, we care about you. And it was always an opportunity to share the gospel and the love of Christ and that kind of thing. So I would say it was the Holy Spirit in each of us that would just show us. And we would, as a married couple, we would talk and say, hey, I'm really feeling like we need to give here or we need to do this. And it was always confirmed when you say, Bobby, every time that this was the next thing that needed to be done financially or however. Well, I think with partners, when they first asked us to take over the directorship, we weren't ready at that time. But then as the kids got older and the last one was getting ready to graduate from college, they asked again. And it was basically at that time was we were either going to stop this or we need someone to come and take it over. We didn't know how much at that time it was going to touch our hearts as far as generosity and also seeing our brothers and sisters and their generosity. And the ministry continued to be a ministry where all of the expenses are covered by generous donors. The Lord has really blessed my business and the Lord is able to use my business. And when we first started, there was an interesting thing that happened. We had just been asked and we just accepted it. And we went to a service and it was a service where there were people giving prophetic messages. And so we're sitting out there in the audience. We didn't know. We knew one of the people up there, but we didn't know the other guys. And one of them, the guys we didn't know points in our direction says, could you two stand up back there? And we were basically not well known there. We were, you know, the visitors a few times. And he asked us to stand up. And he said, the Lord has given you something. And I see a highway. And on that highway, there's maybe a few dozen, if that much, people traveling on the road. But he said, I want you to know that the Lord is getting ready to widen that highway. And Nan and I were both like, what does that mean? Because (laughs) we were having trouble even understanding how we were going to keep up with, I think partners had 22 missionaries at that time. And we were getting to know them. And I said, how can you have dozens of missionaries? And so we were just amazed by that. But then shortly after that, I was asked to be on the board of Renew World Outreach. And Renew World Outreach has a ministry where they provide, they have these amazing young engineers, and they've come up with technologies that are, in many cases, ahead of the secular market. And these devices are solar-powered projectors and solar-powered audio Bibles, micro SD cards. There's a device called a light stream that emits a 
Wi-Fi signal within 300 feet and people can get it, but it's not Wi-Fi, it's what's on that device. And we were just amazed by this, but what it was to us, and we end up asking David and Stephanie Pulusky, who are the founders of Renew World Outreach, to be on our board. But what that did is it connected us to missionaries that were in the most unreached and uncontacted places in the world. And we began to widen our vision and say, Lord, are you calling us to do this? And then fast forward to now, we have at least 190, actually 192 as of the other day, (laughs) missionaries and many more on the way. Wow. And so we are just so, so excited. And the majority of those, 160 of them, are reaching uncontacted and unreached people groups. And it is just such a blessing to be able to be a part of that. And getting back to the generosity, I want to kind of tell you one story. We were visiting one of those guys. It was a guy, his name was Carlos. And it was one of our hubs, which is in Mexico. We have hubs in Mexico, Amazon Peru, Amazon Bill, three in Africa, two in India, one in Thailand. So we had nine all together. And we were visiting one of them, and this guy was just going to places in the mountains of Mexico in an area called Oaxaca where there are unreached people groups. There's 159 unreached people groups. And we were looking about how this guy was getting on the bus every day and going up in there. And Nan just says on the way back, says, Bobby, what if we provided some transportation? And so... So he could actually take his family, too, because he was doing this all by himself and leaving his family behind. And he really wanted him with him. (laughs) So So the Lord really used that Mm -hmm. every time we're going on a trip to really reveal something special to us. And, you know, the scripture that says storing up on earth for your barns is going to you can't take anything with you. So you might as well just live your life to it. So the Lord called us to be on these trips and have a generous heart. And it is so neat to be able to give in to things that you can see immediately. I remember one time we were in India and this missionary there was playing. It looked like a toy piano. And we were like, Bobby, you need a keyboard or something. So the Lord called us to get him a new piano and the Lord has connected us with so many other people that really get it. They get it that you don't win. The person with the most toys wins. That's wrong. The man who gives his life to the Lord and knows there's a line of a song that says, you could spend your time turning the tricks for all mankind and you could base your life on meaningless reward. But a wiser man is he who knows himself eternally and sees his value not in his life, but in his Lord. And the Lord has just really called Nan and I to be able to live that way in partners. And it's really about just keeping your eyes open and saying, Lord, show me, highlight where the needs are and how can we help someone like Carlos, who was just really, he's having to spend so much time traveling, you know, the hard way. And it was really interfering with his ability to minister the gospel like he wanted to. So, For us to be able to give him that car and him not even 
have to know where it came from, but I think he found out somehow, but we didn't really want that. It just it's so exciting to see and hear how much more efficient he's able to minister in those villages now because he can get there easier. But if I could step back to Renew World Outreach, and when we were first trying to figure out what it was God had actually called us to when we took over Partners in Ministry, it was like, wow, we have so much to learn about missions. And, you know, missionaries are people and people are messy. So we realized there was so much we had to learn about just, again, relationships. And how do we support them? How can we be generous to them? How can we meet needs emotionally, spiritually, financially? It's the whole package. And since we're not about buildings or materials or things, it's just their basic daily needs is what we sign up to help with. Then what that means is we've got to really feel like we know what they're doing is gospel and it's genuine that they're men and women of integrity, that they are being led by the Holy Spirit, you know, as they're ministering. And so that just takes time and vetting to figure those things out. So we were having to learn all about that in the process. So the first time we met up with David and Stephanie and they were taking us on a tour of Renew World Outreach and all of the backpacks and SD card, micro SD cards and things that were being produced there and sent out. And I just kind of froze in the middle of that barn and looked around and the Holy Spirit just hit me. And I began weeping because I realized the potential of people hearing the Word of God in their own heart language and how important that is for someone who's never heard the gospel. Even if they speak English or another language as a second language, to hear it in their heart language is so impactful. So anyway, I realized at that moment there was something else God's arranging here. And what an exciting time to be connected with this group, as well as Faith Comes by Hearing and trying to think Jesus film, just a bunch of different people that were, you know, suddenly there's all of these ministries coming together to serve the missionary on the ground and to really finish with the work that God's called us to, which is to get the gospel out to as many people. And there was this whole, whole sector of the world's population that really needed specific missionaries in those places. And so we kind of went from there. Okay, Lord, how do we go about doing this? And that's where the hub program kind of got started. And Bobby, I'll let you go from there. Going on and on here. What happened is how do we multiply ourselves? Yeah. And the idea was probably the first one was a connection of a ministry called Sin 56. And I remember we met with one of the founders and he was describing these people that went out of these training schools that were in remote areas and they were sending the indigenous people, training them to go out to the unreached and uncontacted people groups in their area. And so that was the first one. We funded 10 of them. And the way it allows us to multiply is we focus on the hub leader and the hub school And we look into their training, how well, when we go visit, we look at how they interact. There's almost always 
children and orphans involved for some reason. And there's always just how they relate with their schools and how they handle their finances. So we delve into understanding the training school itself. But then the training school, they send out the missionaries. The one in India has 15. The one in Peru has 28. And then the ones in Africa, I think we have close to 50 there. And then in Amazon, Brazil, it just varies in numbers. And we have nine of these and a total of 160 missionaries that are going to the unreached and contacted people groups. And most of these people don't speak English, so they wouldn't be able to come around and eat dinner with somebody and raise support. So the Lord has called us to be able to get out there and raise support. There's a pastor recently that in our ninth hub, and he's actually in Vietnam. And it was just so cool to hear his story. He has been through seminary, like six years of seminary, sacrificed time away from his family to have to do that. And then he's training these 32 young missionaries to go out to the mountains in Vietnam. And his just heart and his love for the Lord is just so inspiring. And Nan and I are just, we just feel so privileged to be able to be connected and to know these people. And I'm telling you, it just inspires you just to jump in more. You know, the more you jump in the water, the more you jump in. And I mean, we're all in. And, you know, I kind of use this analogy. I said, you know, we're not in the middle of this blue ball in the middle of the universe for no reason. There is a purpose for our lives. And, you know, the scripture says in Matthew 24, 14, and the gospel of this kingdom will be proclaimed to the whole world as a testimony to all people, and then the end will come. And those were Jesus's words. So we need to get the word of God. We need to get the true story of Jesus out to all peoples. And that's what he's commanded us to do. And we never imagined 10 years ago that we would be able to go to the places that we've been. But the stories and the people, I mean, just imagining it, the amazing people and their heart for the Lord and their love for the Lord is just so inspiring. I think we're also in a real unique situation in that we're not necessarily the missionary that's out there, although there are some traditional missionaries that you think of as a Westerner that we're still supporting through partners because they're doing it so well, <laughs> and they get the whole idea of Second Timothy 2.2, to pass on to reliable men. So they've multiplied themselves, and they get that that's what it's about. But then it's out of those people that they are sending the indigenous out to the indigenous. And we especially found out with COVID how important that is to have a good network. The Americans or the Westerners had to leave, then you had indigenous people to step up into leadership and keep it going. And that happens in places that are war-torn across the world as well. You still have the indigenous people there who understand and have been discipled properly and can continue the work. For us, we feel like we get to see God highlight a need. We hear about someone who's really doing the work of the Lord in such a powerful spirit-driven way 
but they're underfunded. And so we get to come along behind them and say, okay, Lord, you've shown us this need. How do we do that? You know, and then we get to see him miraculously provide. I was thinking when you were talking about the Sin 56 missionaries, that first group, we had to, you know, say, okay, Lord, we don't know how, this is our first hub. We're not even sure how to do this, but we're trusting you to meet the need there. And it was kind of a leap of faith, wasn't it, Bobby? And actually we had to turn around and tell the leader of that hub, the money hasn't come in. We're so sorry. And, you know, we promised to support them when they graduated for a whole year. (laughs) And it was like, oh, we've got to tell them no. Well, would you believe the next day we get a call from a couple who sold their home and the Lord had prompted them to generously give, you know, a tithe on that income more than totally every need that was needed over in Africa for that hub. I mean, the timing was like, okay. Could it not have been like the day before, but it was great to be able to come back to that leader and say, guess what? God's provided it. And it's so amazing. But his timing's always perfect. We may want it on our dime and what we think, but if we just listen and we're walking in faith, he does just amazing, miraculous things. And that's just one of many stories we could tell you, but it's great to be able to see the need and then see God do something so incredible to provide the need. And we see it over and over again, don't we, Bobby? Yeah. I remember <laughs> when I was, I had to do both of those phone calls. And the first phone call, oh, he was, oh, it was so hard on him. And then the next day, he was just crying. He just couldn't believe it. And he got to call those missionaries. And now we're supporting 60 of those. And so it's an amazing story about how the Lord just provides when they need it. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that God prefers that kind of timing because those kind of stories come out of it. And it's so easy, I think, to look back on that story and to see how God worked in that. Then if the money came in a month earlier, you know, and then, of course, it's all there when we need it or something like that. I think that act, even if it's just for 24 hours of having to say, hey, we got no other options, you know, let us know what you want us to do, that forces us to repeatedly come to him and lay those needs before him and wait for him to work because he's the one who ultimately puts all the pieces together. Amen. Um, I wanted to just make a couple of quick shout outs here for a couple of things you mentioned. You guys mentioned the Paleskis, David and Stephanie, who founded Renew World Outreach. We did have them back on episode 67, if anyone wants to hear their story. And we also had the opportunity to talk with Josh Newell from Jesus Film on episode 45 and Morgan Jackson from Faith Comes by Hearing on episode 36. So anybody who wants to dive in a little bit more to what those organizations are doing, you can find a lot more information on those episodes. So I wanted to pivot for a second. God has clearly placed a clear mission on your guy's heart. And this will probably seem like a silly question to you, but I think that there are a number of people who just haven't kind of gone through the same process yet. Can you break down why it is so powerful to empower indigenous missionaries as opposed to the traditional Western missionary model, and especially for somebody who isn't kind of familiar with that strategy? Well, one thing we have discovered when we pivoted from 
what we call traditional missionaries, which we're still supporting 33 of those, to the hub missionaries, is that these people, they don't speak English, and they are out in the very remote areas, some of the most dangerous areas in the world, the mission that we have in India, I won't say exactly where, is a mission that is where's the largest unreached group in the, there's 650 unreached people groups there. And they have missionaries spread out of that whole area. And these missionaries would have no other way to raise funds. They're out in areas that are so far out. When we were there, we were there for 11 days and there was no one who looked like us for 11 days. And these people, there's less than 1% Christian. But these people are so sold out for Jesus. They are regularly, almost all of them have been beaten. Some of them have been martyred. And when you get outside of that caste system, it's very difficult to be able to raise your family, and to provide daily needs. And so to be able to support these missionaries is just something that there's no other way they would be able to be supported. And it's the same way in all nine of our hubs. The one in Brazil, these guys are out in the Amazon jungle, out in the most remote tribes. It takes them five days by what they call these little tiki-tiki boats, And then they get on foot and they'll travel several days into the jungle. And the same with Peru. And so these people would have no other way to receive funding if it were not for the people that are coming alongside partners in ministry. And it is just such a privilege to be able to support them and encourage them. And to be able to, we bring our daughter with us. She's a professional photographer and She interviews them and just to hear their stories, just amazing stories, one after the other. And then we just, when you know you're in the right place and when you're there and you can see these people and the impact that they're having and their love for Jesus, it is just such an honor to be supporting them. And one thing we've realized too is there's usually a traditional missionary component to it because there has to be a connection some way for us to be able to, you know, get funds and necessary. So we're learning, but it's really been an exciting thing to see that sometimes we're dealing with second, third, or fourth generation missionaries, just families have been there that were Western missionaries that came to that area or American missionaries. Sometimes they're not American. Sometimes they're from that same country Say, for instance, in Brazil, they speak Portuguese. But, you know, we have to have someone we trust. Again, it's back to relationship and building relationships and understanding who they are. And then that hub leader is responsible for a lot, you know, making sure that people are getting what they need. And it might look different from time to time. And so there's it's not just, oh, we give you a certain amount every month and that's the end of it. We get reports back and we're you know, figuring out if someone's been through a traumatic experience, how do they get emotional support? So they're working with a community in that hub so that they're really taken care of. And that's something we've kind of just learned over time 
there's some necessary components with that, but it's so much easier for them to even go cross tribally. That's probably not a word, but to go from tribe to tribe is easier than it would be for me to ever. I can't even go to parts of Brazil in the jungle because the government doesn't allow anybody to go in there unless they're indigenous. So they've got indigenous crossing over to indigenous tribe. And that's just so important to have that ability and that component to do that where we could never go to add to what Bobby said. You know, you guys are talking about a concept that Keelan and I get to hear about a lot, but it is really a transformational perspective to think we can start businesses. We can, we have all these different ways to create income streams through real estate, through investing. We just have a country at a time where there's massive opportunity to generate income. And Bobby, like you were saying, like, what's it all for? Why are we on this big blue ball in the middle of the universe? What's it all about? So to connect that through partners in ministry or through various different channels that may be established to be able to have an impact to people who don't have those opportunities. There's significant barriers. If I went out on my own without any help, without any partnerships, and I said, I want to have a direct impact. I want to share the gospel with somebody on the other side of the world. I would have no idea where to start. And I'd probably make a lot of missteps and I'd waste a lot of time and a lot of money trying to do that. It's amazing that you've provided a channel to do that in not just one village, but all over the world. And I'm hoping you can share if, let's say I made a contribution to partners in ministry, how does that actually impact somebody through the hub system? Well, I can give an example probably of what happened in India when we went there. It is amazing what $75 a month will do for a missionary in that area because You know, we use the term E-R-O-I, eternal return on investment. And when somebody gives $75 a month, you are supporting a missionary, his family for the whole month. And the neat thing about it is when we went there and we got to train them with Renew's equipment and we got to meet all the guys and we got to just meet their families and meet the orphans and meet the hub leaders, we were then followed up by other ministries. Jesus Film came behind and brought them tablets and solar-powered projectors, more than what we bought, and then even bought scooters for some of the guys who had no way to get around. And so other ministries come around, and what we have noticed that at Renew World Outreach— They have the largest database in the world of languages, biblical languages. And what we've realized is that Partners in Ministry has a connection to these missionaries that are boots on the ground out there in these remote areas. So the funding that comes through Partners in Ministry goes directly. There is no funds that come out of it for any administrative expenses. It goes directly to those people that are on the front lines and To be able to see, I mean, that ministry was started from a minister who was in that area and he was having trouble with his ministry taking off in the highly Hindu area. And his daughter, who was two years old at the time, 
was out being taken care of. They had befriended everybody in the area, but they were, she was playing in, with a, a nearby family, and she fell into the well. And at the bottom of the well, she had been there 20 minutes. And when they brought her out, she was not alive. And the community brought Lydia to them. And the first thing he did in India, if something happens while someone is under your care, you're legally liable. First thing he said, he said, I forgive you. I will not press charges against you. But they gave him the girl and he took the young girl and he laid down and he prayed. And the girl, Lydia, was dead. She was not alive at all, wasn't breathing, had been in the drowned in the bottom of the well for more than 20 minutes. And he prayed in the name of Jesus. And that girl rose from the dead right there. And so talk about a way to get a ministry started. So that is really where <laughs> things started there. And so the amazing things that God has a heart for these things. And he knows in, you know, you think about how in Acts, how things got started. The, those people just went out with power. And it's incredible to hear the stories across the world of how God is doing amazing, miraculous things. And it is just such an amazing to see when, you know, we put on two hats. We'll have a hat, the fundraising hat, and then we'll have the missionary vetting hat. And it's just this strange thing that goes back and forth with us. But it is such an honor to be able to look. I don't know if y'all have the book, Gospel Patrons by John Reidhart, but we get to connect with these gospel patrons and they are just such beautiful people. And it's just such a neat thing to see this community come together with gospel patrons. And then those people are in the distant remote places of the world where people haven't even heard the gospel, not even one time. And these people are taking it there. And it is such an honor to connect these two groups, these funders, and these boots on the ground. Yeah. I'd like to add to that too, if that's okay. One of the things I think that we've seen a lot of is someone who feels called to the gospel and they live in a poor community. There aren't a whole lot of options for jobs or ways to make money. And so they have to travel somewhere usually to go provide for their family. That takes away from time ministering the gospel to people if they've been called to be a minister. And so what we've realized is that if we can get behind them and they really have been trained and they're ready to be sent out, this allows them the freedom to just really go and do what God's called them to do without having to stop at some point and go, oh, I've got a wife and two children back home that need to be taken care of, or I've got to stop what I'm doing, even if he's in the middle of just some major outpouring of the spirit or there's a you know there's discipleship groups going and to just have to stop that for a time and go and you know raise support by having it carrying a job somewhere having to travel to another city or town somewhere what we're able to do when someone gives that 75 dollars is we're entrusting that to the hub leader who knows the specific situation that that family is living in, whether he's a single guy or he's a married guy or he's got a couple of children. And so that $75 for him 
is going to be, you know, he may not need $75. One guy may need 50 and the other one needs a hundred. So we're relying on what our hub leader is doing and we give them the freedom to make those decisions. But again, it's back to relationship and having a really good relationship with that hub leader. And we've just seen some incredible men and women of God who are have administrative skills and they are all about multiplying and seeing the gospel go forth. And I think we're all feeling this urgency to do it because we know that this, we don't know how much time we have to keep operating this way, but they are so good about sending back what God's doing stories of, you know, the tough things that are going in, going on in Manipur or just in India with the burning, you know, so we see the bad, you know, some of the, persecution stuff, but at the same time, we're getting stories of what God's just doing through people who are giving it all. And those are the kind of people we want to get behind. And so that's what $75 does is it keeps somebody on the field doing what they're called to do (laughs) 24-7, except Sunday. I'm sure they rest. (laughs) Can you guys tell us a little bit more about some of the ways you guys interact with other ministries on the field? So obviously you work through the hub leaders, but you talked about other ministries kind of coming in behind at times and a lot of crossover. Maybe you can flush that out a little bit more, what that looks like in different kind of situations or scenarios. Well, partners, the word partners very much is indicative of we're going to work with anybody who's in the area and wanting to get the gospel out. And we have found when we'll go to a remote area and we'll visit them for the first time and we'll get into their finances, we'll get into all the issues. And we found that ministries will come behind us and then it's a matter of trust is being built. And it's everyone understanding that what's going on here and they see the fruit of it. For an example, the the latest hub in Thailand that we just visited were there to start and help them start a new hub. They had already started training the people there. And then we get there, we realize these people have been training people here for a long time. They just need people to come behind them. So now that we know that they're there and they have a training school and they're sending them out to Thailand, of course, the tribal areas of Thailand, in Miramar, in Vietnam, in Laos, in Cambodia, and China. And when Nan said we were visiting with the giants of the land, we really were. And it was just such an encouragement. And what we found since we came back is that other ministries have heard the stories and they want to come along by side what is going on there. And, of course, the hub leader there, he's so excited, he keeps sending us. I mean, we weren't even gone yet, and they'd already taken the projectors out, and they were showing the Jesus film, and it was just exciting. We have realized that when we visit these missionaries, when you go and visit them, it means so much to them. A lot of them are in such a remote area. They feel like they're islands out by themselves. And when you go and you visit And when we bring greetings from ministries here, and we have found that once we make those connections, then more connections happen. 
And I can see the body of Christ coming together. Ministries all over the world are coming together around getting the gospel to every tribe and nation. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of momentum building and there's a lot of groundwork that's been done. What are you most excited about when you think about the next five or 10 years for partners in ministry or just for the body of Christ like you're talking about? To me, when we had that prophecy that the Lord was going to expand it from a couple of dozen to a highway, we couldn't visualize how that was going to happen. But now that the Lord has opened up the picture to us, we realize that He's opening up more and more as we come along. He's increasing our donor base, and He's increasing our connection to these groups from all over the world. We have nine now, but there are several more that we're in the early stages of vetting, early stages of figuring out. We started to fund one missionary there, and we're learning what's going on there. So we, in the next five to ten years, I can see hundreds more missionaries. I mean, Scripture says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He will send out laborers Mm -hmm. to go into the fields. And we have just the honor of being able to see these harvesters. They're ready to go. They just need the support and they need the encouragement. They need the training. And the way the Lord has connected all four of those aspects is just amazing. And we see how the Lord can continue to cause it to grow in the next five, 10 years. And Nan and I and our team, we have a really good team. We have Grace Fellow and our daughter, Rachel, and just other, they're all in. They're not just very talented at what they do, but they are all in and seeing what's going on here and helping it expand. I think what I'm excited about, there's two things. One is, I think partners in ministry, you know, started in the 1980s, as Bobby said. And so a lot of those founding fathers and mothers have kind of etched out. And so they're living in other places and they can't as much a part of the donor base as they want to be, but they still give out of, you know, what they've been given. And it's just a beautiful thing to see. But to see this next generation get excited about missions and for them to really get it, that they've been given so much. We live in a place like you were saying, Cody, where it's so easy (laughs) to accumulate wealth And I think the second thing I was going to say is when we've actually had an opportunity to go and share in churches and other groups to suddenly see the light bulbs go on that, wow, I've been placed here for such a time as this. I have a lot that I can give and make a difference in another part of the world with a body of Christ. And even to see, like I was mentioning, Manipur and all that's happening over there as far as the burning churches and, you know, there's people, our brothers and sisters of Christ are in camps and things. There are people that are sharing the gospel with others. And even when tragedy happens, there's opportunities for the body of Christ to get behind, you know, helping. That's kind of outside of what we normally do, but we can make people aware of what's going on and to see them go, wow, or just the Holy Spirit speak to them. This is what I need to give towards. And to see those light, the light come on like, oh, there's a bigger, it's just like it, the Lord did for me when I was younger that I realized 
the body of Christ is not just my local church. It's so much bigger than this. And how can I be a part of that? What does the Lord want me to do? What is he asking me to do? And am I listening? And am I, am I going to be obedient to do that? But I see that happen over and over right here in churches across America. And that's very exciting to me because that means that what the Lord wants us to do is going to happen a lot sooner, I think, than we thought. And so we're hoping really by 2033, when I think there's supposed to be a Bible in every language, isn't that what the projection is, that we would really have to, we would love to have enough money or funds available to be able to get behind anybody who feels called to take the gospel to those places where those languages are represented. And so that's kind of where our neat connection with Renew has been, because if somebody's using those little micro SD cards or the audio Bibles, then they're more than likely working out there in those hardest to reach places. And that's who we're really looking for is that missionary that really wants to love on the people around him. And again, just to see the light come on when they read or listen to the Word of God in their own heart language. I've just seen people cry, you know, immediately. It's like, oh, wow, this is for me. That's not just for him over there or for you because you've got white skin. God's speaking to me because he's speaking in my language. So that's what we're hoping for because then they'll be wanting a relationship with Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, I think... We've heard a number of times now that the resources and the finances to do exactly what you're talking about already exist right now in the hands of Christians, not just in the U.S., in the hands of Christians. And at this point, we are close enough that it's just a matter of making the right connections and getting it to the right place. We're no longer waiting to accumulate enough resources because we already have it. And it's just like exactly like what you guys are doing, getting it to the right people in the right place at the right time. So I'm excited to see what continues to come from the work that you guys are doing, from Renew, from all the others who are right there on the front lines, you know, in basically the final hour, I think, of the Great Commission. So very exciting time to be here. And I personally am very excited to see what happens over these next 10 years between now and 2033, because there is a lot of growing momentum and talk about what's going on right now. We do want to leave some time for our manager's minute before we get to the end here. We like to end every episode with a practical action. Our listeners can take to step into their role as stewards and manage God's wealth wisely. So do you guys have a suggestion for our listeners today? Yes. About two years ago, Partners in Ministry felt real calling to develop what we have now named Endowment 2414, which is modeled after Matthew 2414 in this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to the whole world as testimony to all people. And then the end end will come. It is an endowment set up specifically for what we call the boots on the ground, and it's for only to meet the needs of the missionary themselves. It doesn't go to equipment or buildings or anything else. It's only for their needs to be able to go out and spread the gospel. 
So I feel like it's something that could be supported church-wide, but it is an endowment and it has a separate mechanism. It has a board of trustees that is separate from partners in ministry, and it is beginning to develop a endowment, which the money is invested every year. And each year, all the money that is invested will go directly to these type hub missionaries. So as a manager's minute, I would like to encourage people to jump in on that. We also have partners in ministry. We would love for you guys to come behind partners in ministry. But the endowment is something that Right now, we have enough to fund probably like two or three missionaries every year until Jesus comes back. I mean, hundreds of years from now, what you give will be invested towards that. And as this endowment grows, you know, it's our dream that, like we said, by the year 2033, that the endowment will be able to go on for long after we're all gone and be able to support missionaries. So that would be our manager's moment that the Lord would just use your audience and use those who want a true EROI to jump in on Endowment 2414. Yeah, and Bobby, how can people find the Endowment 2414 and learn more about Partners in Ministry as well? We have a website, and it's pimoutreach.org, and you can look on the website there, and there is an invest tab, and you can see about the endowment. There are some videos and explanations, and then also there's ways to give to partners as well. There's also an opportunity to join us. We have a prayer call every first Thursday of every month, and that's just a neat time to meet some of the missionaries that are kind of all over the place and pray for their specific needs and get to know them. Yeah, and if you're listening right now, I would really encourage you to take them up on some of these opportunities. Keelan and I have had the blessing and opportunity to spend a lot of time with people like Bobby and Nan, and it's changed us for the better, and it's broadened our perspective, and it's helped us understand God's heart. So put yourself around people like Bobby and Nan. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. I've really enjoyed hearing some of your story and the story of partners in ministry and just your heart for people and how that's expressed in the work that you do every day. So thank you so much for your work and for sharing with us. Thank you so much. And I just want to encourage you guys in what you're doing. It is getting the word out there and it is such a blessing and an honor to get to meet with you and to know you. And I just want to encourage you in what you're doing. Yes. Praise the Lord for young men like you who really have a heart for the Lord and are generous with just what he's blessed you with. It's such an incredible testimony. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line, the finish line movement, or anything else you heard in the show today, we'd love to hear from you. And now I have a quick question for you. Do you know anyone who's living a life filled with generosity, purpose, and mission? If so, we'd love to talk to them. They don't need to have a financial finish line, and they don't have to have all the answers just a heart to steward God's wealth to the best of their ability. If you know someone like that, we'd be honored if you would connect us. You can reach us on Instagram at Finishline Pledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Finally, if you want to find any references or links from today's show, 
You can always find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 80. That's it for today. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.